beloved congregation of Fort Gary and beloved CMU singers, beloved of God, beloved of all who are touched by your worship and work, the grace of your lives. I invite you to receive these words of blessing. Because the child is beautiful, choose not to be afraid and run forward with patience the path set before you. Now maybe you wonder, how can I receive that blessing? I don't know who the beautiful child is, on, a, on account of whom I, well, what? Am blessed? Am invited? Am commanded? Am capable to choose not to be afraid and to run forward with patience on the path that appears before me? Is it a real living child, a literal path that I walk down the road? Or are those words metaphors? Well, yes, to the first question, the child and path are literal. The blessing comes from the Hebrews' account of a real child, a story nestled between two grand confessional statements. And yes, to the second question, the child and path are metaphors. Child extends to the whole world of God's creation, ever seeking redemption, freedom from decay, freedom of glory as children of God, as we heard in Romans 8. It's the kingdom of God ever coming about on earth, as in heaven, as Jesus ever teaches, as Jesus taught many to, to pray, a great crowd, in fact, on a mountainside. And path means everything we say and go do throughout life's pilgrimage. With the blessing comes an invitation. When does something you see as beautiful shape where you choose to live in the biblical call, fear not? A phrase uttered only 365 times in the Bible. From there, how does your choice to fear not lead to paths forward that you simply cannot imagine or see when fears win the day? Of course, further dimensions are critical to all of this. Fear not is an expression of fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. And seeing what is beautiful does not mean anything goes. The Hebrews passage goes on in its call, looking to Jesus, the author and completer and finisher of our faith. Still, to get to what the Bible means by hope, the phrase Jesus is completer of our faith, needs to be understood as moving ahead without knowing where, our faith-filled practices will take us. And we are urged to follow, to evaluate, and to trust the paths set before us by seeing what is beautiful and choosing not to be afraid, even when fear would be a reasonable human response. Listen again to the definition of hope in the last two verses of the Romans 8 passage, a text that is shaping CMU this year through chapels and elsewhere. For in hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what one already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I call the sum of those verses wild hope. Why? One, because the Romans 8 passage takes our literal minds on a wild ride. It states clearly it's not hope if you already know what you're hoping for looks like. Yet, it uses very literal imagery, something we can imagine and see, the earth groaning and suffering in the pains of labor. 
Well, at least the effects of the pains of labor can be seen, literally. They are felt and can be described in clear terms. Women experiencing labor pains state their hopes directly. May this baby come out of me right now as fast as possible. Now, Paul, the writer of Romans, will not have felt labor pains. Yet, I don't see him as irresponsible with his choice of imagery, but as insightfully provocative. He connects very real, immediate pain and activity with a call of God that's tough to grasp, to be people who practice hope, who follow through faithfully on everyday immediate actions in light of a redemption we can't fully anticipate or already see. And yes, hope for what we do not see relates to what we see literally and also metaphorically. That is, it's something you can see with your eyes, but it's also see as in understand, as in get it, as in I was blind, but now I see. So with hope as immediate action and beyond our time, beyond we can, what we can get, understand, see, these dimensions actually connect with a woman in labor. Clearly, she desires immediate delivery. She also has a way bigger, longer hope, for she eagerly awaits the child who will startle, delight, and challenge her in ways she cannot anticipate the child who will change the world in ways she cannot control. With this imagery, Paul defines hope as a real promise and condition of life that is not present now, not present yet, yet at the same time that is present in what is yearned for with enough conviction to search for it, care for it, nourish it, and practice down its path until its reality breaks through or its energy is redirected somewhere else. This is wild because it sounds ethereal, practical, immediate, elusive, bodily, earthly, all at once. And most of us go, huh? In our everyday lives, we don't usually keep all those parts of hope together. Rather, we tend to use hope in sentences like this. I hope I find my keys. To be clear, I may hope you find your keys too. But mostly I want you to quit yapping about your keys and go retrace your steps for the last few days until you stumble upon them or something triggers your memory with an aha moment or your mother finds them in the most obvious place, your dog spits them out, whatever. Just say hope in a way that rhymes with dope or mope or nope isn't really hope. It just signals a lack of basic attentiveness and due diligence. But real hope isn't only lofty either. Rather, it connects immediate stuff, pain and joy, with hope. Hope with a long O, hope. Open eyes and a sense of awe at what Paul in Ephesians calls infinitely far more than all we can ask or imagine. Far more righteousness, justice, reconciliation, flourishing. Far more of God's grace of redemption than we see happening or imagine possible. Here's where today's blessing from Hebrews comes in. Hebrews begins with a grand proposition, a profession or confession of faith, as the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Really? Try that in an essay or in a math proof. The evidence in my answer is things that are not seen, period. Probably not work so well. Here's how the Hebrews passage backs up the confession of faith. It's with stories of men, and a good number of women for the time, 
who are commended for forming relationships, habits, and decisions on the basis of trust and not out of fear. People who practice faithfully what they could not see, could not know, define, control, perfect, or bring to completion on their own. Hebrews 12 then draws their stories together as witnesses to its claims. For we read, Therefore, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside our burdens and sins and run with patience the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the author, finisher, perfecter, completer of our faith. Here's one story told in Hebrews 11, one form of evidence for these confessions. Miriam, the sister of a baby named Moses, was touched by his beauty, chose not to be afraid, and went and did something, ran with patience the race set before her, without knowing what would happen next. That is, the family of Moses saw that he was beautiful and were not afraid of the king's edict, so they went and hid him in a basket in the bulrushes. They watched a running urgency of hearts in their throats, yet waited patiently with no capacity to control or anticipate what we know happened next. An Egyptian princess came by and found the basket in the bulrushes. She too was touched by the baby's beauty, chose not to be afraid of what her father, the king, might think, and provided a safe space for this child to grow up as her adopted son. And many years later, Moses himself was touched by the beauty of an oppressed people, chose not to be afraid of losing his own personal security and success, and ran with patience what was set before him to stand up for the welfare of this oppressed group and to lead them out towards a land that he himself never reached. Neither Miriam nor Moses assumed such a thing as perfect conditions in which to make the right move, nor could they know what would happen next after following down that path, the wild idea that appeared before him, such as putting a baby in a basket in the bulrushes. Now, how is all that running with patience? And how might it relate to waiting with patience in Romans 8, while the whole creation groans together in the pains of labor? Doesn't that make us passive bystanders who condone the status quo, who condone sin, and who are complicit participants in ongoing harms and wrong? Well, yes, if you think waiting means twiddling your thumbs. But Bible scholars say that perseverance is a better English translation than patience, except it's not just about sticking to it. It's also about releasing what you feel compelled to control into something far more, into something later, into something far other than what you can imagine. And this is why translations stick with patience. It's an active form of waiting, a form of waiting that's running. It's kind of like serving, as in waiting on tables. It's about being willing to be surprised, disrupted, made uncomfortable, and transformed by where the path that appears before us may take us. So how might the blessing of following Jesus through this story shape our faith and life this day, this year? Let's consider despair as one of the deep fears of our time. For all the right, understandable reasons, we're attentive 
to massive disruption, deep change, and destructive threats to communities of faith, democracy, the economy, ecology, humanity, really everything. There's grievous substance to our concerns in all we hear. Yet the fear is insidious with panic that often numbs us to things like running with patience or to other virtues like trust and joy and kindness. Often we're stuck in an odd combination of thinking we're doomed and believing we're the savior. Interesting though, that when we sing, we still dare to trust the beauty and the joy. We sing of 10,000 reasons to bless, as we did earlier, to bless the Lord. In a few minutes, we'll sing of another 10,000 uh, blessings, that is, in Great is Thy Faithfulness. This number 10,000 appears in many songs because it's featured often in Old and New Testaments as standing for abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. Not for excesses of blessing, but rather just for ways of noticing small things and cherishing them in ways that help us release being small-minded. Things that open our, way, our minds to seeing things other, to seeing things later than all we can ask or imagine. And in seeing and cherishing those things to release our fear. Indeed, the Hebrews' blessing offers this. If, in the face of every overwhelming, terrifying, destructive, life-defying, or merely complex matter, we would be touched by something that is beautiful and choose not to be afraid, we would then, in our looking to Jesus, see a road open before us where we can run with patience. And we would then, in our looking to Jesus, set aside our burdens and sin, even and especially when we don't know where that road will take us and when it's not us who will see its promise through to the end. And the Romans 8 passage calls for this. Attend to the growing, groaning of creation, the labor pains all over. Your tangible care waits with patience on the hope of redemption that you hear in the groaning. Your service is honored as it ever opens up infinitely far more than all and far other than all you imagine. Friends, take heart. You are trusted to see what is beautiful. So choose not to be afraid as you look to Jesus along the path that appears before you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Fort Gary MB Church. We hope that what you heard challenged you to think in new ways about Jesus Christ and the life that we are called to through his death and resurrection. If you have any questions about who we are as a church, our mission, or have any other questions in general, please do not hesitate to contact our office email at info at fgmb.ca. Be blessed.